This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we will wrap up our study of John with Jesus restores Peter and Peter asks about John's future. Then on to Hebrews, in these days he's spoken by a son, Jesus and the angels, and how to guard against drifting away. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand at thewordendures.org and on the Lutheran Public Radio app. How should Christians engage in the politics of our day? It's axiomatic that we are not first and foremost concerned about politics, but we do have a duty to our neighbor to protect his interests, to act in his interest, indeed even to vote in his interest. But there are all different alternatives to how Christians have decided to do that. There's what the agenda, kind of the social agenda, the social gospel agenda of traditional Christian liberalism that's been picked up by progressive evangelicals. There's Christian democracy, there's Christian libertarianism, there's something called localism. How should Christians engage in the politics of their day. It turns out history actually has a few lessons to teach us there. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's part six of our series on a Lutheran response to post-Christian culture. Today, politics part two. Dr. Gene Edward Veith joins us, provost and professor of literature emeritus at Patrick Henry College. Previously served as culture editor for World Magazine. He's director of the Cronach Institute at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and author of numerous books, including his latest Post-Christian, A Guide to Contemporary Thought and Culture. Dr. Veith, welcome back to Issues Etc. Thanks. Let's start with a little very useful history. You write about Frederick the Great. Who was he? Yeah, he was the king of Prussia back in the 1700s, who really started to turn Germany into the modern nation that it became. He was a huge patron of the Enlightenment. Voltaire was a friend of his, and he did so much to promote this new age of reason that dominate everything else, expensive religion and everything else. So he's a patron of the Enlightenment, but he was also a ruthless, authoritarian, absolute ruler who is the father of Prussian militarism, which would lead to World War One. And World War II, he was the grandfather of Frederick Wilhelm III, who followed his grandfather's policies in many ways. And Frederick Wilhelm was the father of the Prussian Union, which combined Lutheran and Reformed into one kind of liberal, enlightened state church, which the confessional Lutherans, that led them to leave the country, and they were the ones that started the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And so Frederick the Great, in opposition to him, is and all of his policies is really foundational, I think, to the LCMS identity. Part of that opposition is someone that we have spoken of at length already in these conversations, Johann Gorg Hamann. Why did he oppose Frederick the Great? Well, Haman, who lived in Prussia, so Frederick was his was his ruler, he was a great critic of Frederick, and Haman said that if you follow the Enlightenment ideals to their 
logical implications. Reason alone, human beings alone. He said this is going to lead to tyranny, which is exactly what it did. And the example, of course, would be Frederick right there. And so Frederick became sort of the emblem of the consequences of the Enlightenment, as far as Hamann was concerned. And other things about him, Frederick's court was just notorious for sexual promiscuity, for homosexuality, and uh, Frederick uh, had that sexual preference. And uh, Hamann would use that view of sexuality, which leads to, to sterility and death, with the sexuality that leads to life that we see in marriage, in God's design. And Haman would play those off against each other. Haman, of course, had to be very careful. And so he wrote a lot of his things anonymously, and he kind of veiled the uh, criticism. He had some great satires against Frederick and everything he, he stood for. Frederick was in his court. That was, he lived in, in Babel. And so uh, Haman writes a lot about the difference between Babel and Jerusalem, as it should be. Frederick wrote a lot about self-love. I mean, he too was a, a thinker. He contributed to the Enlightenment. And he said self-love is the foundation of a good society. And Haman contrasted that, of course, with love of neighbor and love of God. Frederick the Great lived in a palace called uh, Sans Souci, which in French means without worry, because that was the goal of his to be without worry. Haman wrote it, well, that's fine, but I live in the house of Grand Souci, big worry, as the Enlightenment was working out its implications. Why is this relevant to us today in this post-Christian culture? Well, so many of the issues that we face today, Haman is writing about in the 19th century, and they began really with Frederick the Great, the role of government, the role of government getting so big that it controls everything. Is that what we want? That that's a, was an issue with, with Frederick, who pushed it as far as it could go. Uh, we often think of the Enlightenment as and progressive ideas as leading to freedom and liberation, but actually, historically, they lead to the opposite. And we're not often aware of that. Issues of sexuality, the relation of God to the government, to the secular world, these are things we're still trying to work out. And you can see this play out back in Haman's controversies with Frederick. Let's speak more generally about how, obviously, Haman is an example of engaging the politics, the culture, and the society mm-hmm. of his day in a, with a very distinctly Christian response to it. How should Christians engage the political culture today? I mean, there have been people who have offered various models for that, haven't there been? Yeah. Christianity, the Bible doesn't give a specific government program or, or political set of policies. Christianity applies to every age and every government, and so we we see that. But there are some, some principles, and different theologies have different approaches to political issues or how the Christian should be involved with the culture and the issues of the day. 
Richard Niebuhr wrote a book, Christ and Culture, setting out some of the different traditions. Are we to be separate from the government, separate from the world, to the point that we're not involved at all with the government? Some Christian traditions say that. Should we try to rule the government, to try to take it over so the Christians rule everything? Some have said that. Should we let the government just rule us and so that we do whatever the government and the surrounding culture says? Or should we be transforming it? Or are these two different realms, as, as the Lutherans believe, that we have different responsibilities and different ones? I would just say this, kind of in bottom line, we do have, as Christians, a vocation as citizen. And so we are called to be good citizens in our society. That means different things in different contexts. Uh, Haman could criticize the king, although he obeyed it, and we have his prayers, and he prayed for Frederick all the time. But that was not a democracy, and he had no say in how the government was going to be run. We in America, we have a different kind of citizenship. We do have a say. We pick our leaders. We govern ourselves in many ways. So we have to be more involved, maybe, than some Christians and other societies in actually deciding what we think the right policy should be. So we do have a calling as citizens. There was a temptation, though, that started in the late 19th and early 20th century called the social gospel. And the social gospel went like this. The old gospel about salvation from our sins that leads to everlasting life in heaven well, that's old-fashioned. That's that's obsolete. We need to follow a social gospel where we bring heaven on earth, where we, where Christians use political and other means to build the perfect society here. Now, in the early days of the social gospel, that meant progressive political action, and to this day, the mainline churches for a large part, are preoccupied with the social gospel, the social gospel of liberal politics. And there's very little difference between what the churches come up with in their hierarchies and in their conventions with what liberal political figures are coming up with. Although now, and of course that contributes a lot to the secularization of the church, it's going from a traditional worldview about Christ and salvation to a different model that Christianity is about social reform, social justice, social change. And so that's had a big impact on liberal theology to this day. Although now, people point out there's a social gospel of the right. There are some churches that are so preoccupied with conservative politics that they, too, make the everlasting gospel of Christ secondary. They're so involved with wanting to promote conservative political ideas no matter where they lead. Now, there can be different opinions about different policies and ideologies. The danger comes when the Church becomes so preoccupied with politics or with the 
government and what the government should be doing, then it forgets its true God-given focus of delivering people to everlasting life. And that's something we have to really be careful about, because all of the social gospels contributed and in some ways caused the, the secularism that we're all caught in today. It's part six of our series, A Lutheran Response to Post-Christian Culture. Today, Politics Part Two. Our guest is Dr. Gene Edward Veith. He's provost and professor of literature emeritus at Patrick Henry College, previously served as culture editor for World Magazine. He's director of the Cronach Institute at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and author of numerous books, including his latest, Post-Christian, A Guide to Contemporary Thought and Culture. When you purchase Post-Christian using the Amazon link, at our website, a percentage of your purchase will support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Talk On Demand Archives, and look for Post-Christian by Dr. Gene Edward Veith. We'll get Dr. Veith's take on Christian democracy next. We Lutherans were never aided by following along with some other tradition's theological priorities and catchphrases. Issues Etc. regular guest, Pastor Heath Curtis, coordinator for stewardship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod on a Lutheran approach to stewardship. Other folks are not approaching it from our good, solid Lutheran understanding of law and gospel and vocation. There's a place to talk about this in Christianity, and we have a way of talking about stewardship as Lutherans without ever using the word stewardship, if you like. I'm going to talk to you today about your vocation in your home, in your church, in your society, and how each one of these makes a claim on you, on your presence, on your support, on your prayers. That's how we should talk about this as Lutherans. You'll find several stewardship resources at lcms.org slash stewardship, lcms.org slash stewardship. Your comprehensive source for information, teaching, and truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. Listen to the best of the church's music for the season of Lent at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the season of Lent, LutheranPublicRadio.org. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233.
Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Dr. Gene Edward Veith is our guest, author of Post-Christian, A Guide to Contemporary Thought and Culture. We're talking about politics in our series on a Lutheran response to post-Christian culture. Dr. Veith, what do you make of the approach of Christian democracy? Well, in Europe and in other places of the world, except here, we have some different combinations, and Christians have different kinds of political parties. Christian democracy is the Social Democrats, and that's a big party, political party and political ideology and much of the rest of the world. We don't hardly have it here. The Christian Democrats are very conservative when it comes to social issues, pro-family, pro-sexual morality, oppose gay marriage, and uh, uphold kind of traditional values. And at the same time, though, they tend to be more liberal on economic issues, on social justice issues. And so they manage to distinguish those and keep both of them together. That's kind of an interesting approach because in America, you're either liberal, liberal politically, liberal theologically, or conservative, conservative theologically, conservative politically. The Christian Democrats split that off a little bit. This is basically the position of the Roman Catholic Church, which is very pro-life, opposes abortion, pro-sexual morality, uh, and so on. At the same time, it teaches economic justice, concern for the environment, and other things that we might associate as liberal. But Protestants, too, especially in Europe, in the Reformed tradition, the uh, view of, in, in the Netherlands, his name, name escapes me, who pioneered kind of the worldview criticism, held this belief. The lady in Finland that's now under, or that's being investigated for writing a book opposing homosexuality from a Christian perspective, she's actually a leading member of the Christian Democratic Party and was the, the uh, uh, she's in parliament and was the Minister of Interior. And so in some ways you might look, oh, well, she's favoring these liberal uh, ideas liberal economic ideas, but she's very conservative and very strong biblically when it comes to moral issues. That's Christian democracy. What do you make of Christian libertarianism? Well, I know a lot of people who I think highly of that are Christian libertarians. Now, the libertarians focus on freedom, liberty, and they believe in a free economy, free market economy. They believe in a limited government, and they react against government that impinges too much on individual freedom. And so I respect that. Now, some of the libertarians as a whole also tend to believe in sexual freedom, freedom to get an abortion, moral freedom. They tend to champion to legalize prostitution, legalize drugs, and other things. Now, Christian libertarians don't go that far. They don't. They they do believe that morality is the best guard for genuine liberty. But some of the Christian libertarians find themselves having to, you know, be in in the circles that they would disagree with morally. I think one of the big issues now is Christian liberty. They're strong fighters for Christian freedom, and in a secular environment that's becoming 
someone warned against more and more authoritarian, we've got to be on the lookout for that and zealously uh, protect our freedom to follow our faith. What about localism? What is it? Yeah, the, the localists are another very interesting movement, and a lot of Christians, a lot of people I know are involved with that. They focus on government as not being far off in Washington, D.C. They say that the most important government is what's around you, your local community, your small town, your local government. But not just that, they say what's really important is your community, the people you actually live with, your neighbors, not just abstract citizenship out in the in the big world, but things that are so threatening, so so threatened today, and and the relationships just within a a, a community, and the localists value small things, not big mega churches. They like small churches, not big cities. They like small towns. Also, different outgrowths. They think it's good to. Uh, do business locally with local businesses, to eat locally, to go to the farmer's market and eat produce made by people who, who live close to you in the area. And it's a way that I think is kind of a good counterbalance to the trends of everything big and impersonal and huge and abstract. Calling our attentions are really the foundation of government and culture and everything else, namely the, the, the community of people that you actually uh, live with and interact with. And a lot of Christians are turning to that, which only problem with it is it doesn't have to be a problem, I suppose, but it can be kind of parochial. I mean, there are national issues. We are citizens of a national country. There are big global things that we got to deal with, and we have to be able to, yeah, do more, build communities where we are. But I think we still are going to have to deal with some of those questions of the bigger nations, the bigger world, and we can't just let those slide. We spoke about Rod Dreher and the Benedict Option in the first part mm-hmm. of this series, and you gave some of your thoughts. If you would, refresh our memory on that, and again, explain to us what you call the Lutheran Option. Well, the Benedict Option, uh, Rod Dreher looks at St. Benedict in the time of the early church. I mean, what happened... Rome fell, the barbarians took over everything, it was chaos. But Benedict separated from this completely corrupt and culture that was falling apart and tried to build a counterculture. And Rod Dreher has developed the idea of the Benedict option that Christians, we've lost the culture wars, he says, we have gay marriage, you have all these other things. What Christians need to do is just pull away, in a sense, from the dominant culture. Education is a wreck. Well, Christians should build on their own educational tradition. If Christian schools have home schools, classical education is being revived by Christians as progressive education just keeps going down the drain, Christians should hold under their own communities and build up communities in their local congregations. 
even as the culture is falling apart more and more. And I, I have a lot of respect for that. It's a Lutheran, the, the, the solution of monastic monasticism that St. Benedict promoted, you know, is something that it can't really buy into, and it has the dangers of its own. The idea that we can separate from the world as a way to to live more purely, sometimes that neglects how sin infects even Christian cultures and all human endeavors, and it can affect what, what Christians build uh, themselves to. But more problematic is that it neglects, I think, vocation, uh, Lutheran uh, great teaching, that God calls us into the ungodly world. God calls us there. That's where we're to serve. That's where we interact with non-believers. And I think we have to be very careful when we talk about separating from it. Uh, now, Luther talks about two kingdoms, that God is the king, of the temporal realm, in other words, the view, the realm that's in time, so he's in charge of the creation, he's in charge of the societies and cultures, and he's king of the spiritual realm, the eternal realm, which lasts forever. And his eternal realm is where he calls us into this everlasting salvation. Now, Christians are citizens of both kingdoms. It's like God is the king of both kingdoms. And in the temporal realm, that's where we live out our faith. And this isn't the same as separation of church and state. It's not a dualism, because God's moral law does reign in the temporal realm. God's law is still something that allows human beings to live together, that first use of the law. And so Christians, I think, are right to be involved with their community, be involved with politics, and we should work for justice and righteousness, and we should attack evil and corruption and injustice wherever we find it, in the world, in our community. And that can involve political action as well as other kinds of involvement. At the same time, though, we're citizens of the eternal realm. The gospel is what is central in the spiritual realm, and we're citizens of of an eternal kingdom. Now, problems come when you confuse those, when you make the spiritual realm a matter of you know, earthly politics, or it can be when you take earthly politics and try to bring the spiritual into it so that you're ruling, taking over, setting up a Christian uh, government. Well, that can confuses law and gospel, too. And so the, the Lutheran option, I think, is a good model for allowing Christians to live in the world, to be in the world but not of the world, uh, to use Jesus' terms, his prayer for us. And so Christians are in the world. They don't separate them from it, but we come from a different place. We have another allegiance. We have other priorities. And so that prevents us from, I think, falling into the, the problems of these other kind of political views, where the social gospel or trying to set up a theocratic rule 
Like, and again, Luther was opposed because that was what the Pope was trying to do. So he opposed that also. And so it gives a good model, I think, uh, Luther's doctrine of two kingdoms, including his teaching of vocation, for how Christians can live, even in a very secularized world, while still being faithful to God's Word and living for something that's going to last a lot longer than the particular moment in history that we're in right now. Dr. Gene Edward Veith is provost and professor of literature emeritus at Patrick Henry College, previously served as culture editor for World Magazine. He's director of the Chronic Institute at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and author of numerous books, including his latest, Post-Christian, A Guide to Contemporary Thought and culture. He'll be back with us tomorrow to continue our series on a Lutheran response to post-Christian culture. We'll be discussing the church in a post-Christian culture. Issues Etc. has brought to you in part today by Lutheran Federal Credit Union. Lutheran FCU serves the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod community with car and home loans, debit and credit cards, checking and savings accounts. Learn more at lutheranfcu.org. Good for you, good for the church. Lutheran Federal Credit Union, lutheranfcu.org. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Wildwood, Missouri is a proud sponsor of Issues Etc. And if you enjoy the relevant, Christ-centered teachings presented on this program, then you should come and join us at St. Paul's on Sundays at 9 a.m., where you will hear sermons that proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified for our sins and enjoy in-depth Bible studies to help us grow as disciples. For more information, check us out at stpaullutheranwildwood.org. Do you dread going to work out? Performance Fitness in Edwardsville offers a fun, supportive, tight-knit community and environment. Visit them on the web at performancefitness618.com or call 618-692-5063. Performance Fitness is the facility in the St. Louis Metro East where the focus is on member results, not membership numbers. 618-692-5063 or performancefitness618.com. Performance Fitness of Edwardsville.